Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Good to have you on the show, Matthew. How are you doing today? I, I'm great, and I, it's very much looking forward to being the other side of the microphone, being asked the questions rather than asking them. <laughs> Thank you for stopping by. Matthew Grant is a partner at Instec, which is one of the largest insurance technology community, and you have unprecedented connections in almost all over the world, and you're gathering so many tech entrepreneurs, investors in the insurance industry. Uh, you've hosted conferences, webinars, roundtables, you name it. More than 25,000 executives have uh, been included in your community. Take us back to the founding aha moment. How did it all start? Uh, yeah, so my co-partner, Robin Mertens, had this idea seven years ago to help what were those days, the startups that didn't really have a place to go to talk about the business put some money behind a bar in a pub in London, got some people together, and that's where it all started. And then it's evolved a lot from them, and we can talk a bit more about it, but it's quite exciting to see some of the journey of those companies that spoke at those early events and uh, and where they've got to now. Amazing. Take us back to the early moments. What were the most challenging part of building a community, knowing that building a community takes so much time, effort, perseverance, and discipline as well? Yeah, it was nothing quite like giving somebody free drinks and uh, give them a chance to go and talk about their business. But that doesn't really scale beyond about 20 people. So the next step was to commit to spending some money to hire a venue. We used the Steel Yard in London that uh, most days of the week was a nightclub on Monday nights when we used it. It was a venue for events. And of course, going from 20 people in a bar to filling a room of 100, 150 people is, is, a, yeah, is a big challenge. You've got to then get people to come away from their evening because most of these evening events make it worth their while and then of course get all the logistics are right because if you're going to start running events and we were charging for them you've got to make sure we're putting on a professional event on the evening amazing so when you think about it uh, now where does someone building a community usually needs to start is it in the product or the topics is it in the customers and how did you early attract enough people to you know I think that this community has legs behind it. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, as you know, Hadi, insurance, like you know, many industries, is really built around the network of both of people that people know, but actually also pretty quickly gets reinforced by where people help each other. There's great, great collaboration going on. It's sort of the irony of the early days of InsurTech was it was people coming in to try and disrupt insurance. The irony is insurance won that battle, and actually today it's all about collaboration. So I'd say... Yeah, anybody looking at starting community, the first rule I would say is really think what you've got as an individual to contribute to your community members. Don't try and sell them anything or get things from them. You know, first of all, about what have you got that you can give? And then secondly, yeah, it's be quite selective who you bring into that community. You want people that you trust, you know, people that are going to bring something to it for whether that's creative or they're going to give something into the community. But, you know, a little bit careful about who you spend your time with. But I, I think those are two main things I'd say. Be prepared to give, but also be a little bit selective on who you, you led into that community to make sure you haven't got people all just turning up, like in our case, for, uh, for free drinks. Amazing. Take us back to the early days. How did you attain or acquire your first early community members? 
Yeah, I mean, the benefit Rob and I had was both of us had worked for about 30 years in the insurance world, both coming at it from a slightly different angle with regards to technology. Robin had been working with a company called RI3K that was building some of the first electronic messaging within insurance companies. I was working catastrophe modeling. So both of us understood the the power that technology had to offer insurers to help them. You know, a lot of this is about, back to my earlier point, about how to help people. Insurers, innovation itself is not really enough in fact sometimes it can be quite frightening because often innovation is only what happens when you can't do anything else whereas if you can go to somebody and say what's your problem and almost like a doctor would handle it you know what's your problem what are the symptoms how can i help then people really start to engage in that so so in terms of bringing people into the community and most importantly getting people to pay this wasn't a uh, a charity this is our very quickly evolved into our core business and, and basically what we lived off then there needs to be value for people coming into that community we're going to pay whether it's to be on stage or to get the benefit of our evolving wisdom and our team's evolving wisdom. So how does your business model currently look like as a community? If I'm building a community, how should I look at it? Is it more that the community members should pay to get in or is it more that the people who want to present to the community member need to get to pay in? Yeah, well, I mean, the community work in different ways. Our one essentially is divided into two areas. I sort of use the words carefully divided might not be the right word. But on one hand, we've got the insurance companies that are looking to understand how, frankly, they can make their lives easier, understand more about technology, what choices they should make within the different companies they might be talking to as as, as vendors of technology. And then, of course, technology companies are really interested to know what the insurance organizations want and also really keen to know, you know what are problems that these companies want to solve Essentially, for us, we want to be in the middle and be a, a somewhat neutral voice. So we've actually we actually charge both sides of the the equation. We charge the insurance companies to talk to them about and give them the research we're doing of sort of topics of interest, and then we charge the technology companies to share their stories with the world. and And that actually keeps us honest. It means we can have many companies that are producing the same technologies. For example, we have seven or eight companies producing flood models, and we can also be providing services to the insurers we just need to make sure that we aren't biased in what we say because somebody's spending more money with us we tend to say that the more we know about a company the more we can talk about them but we shouldn't be influenced by how much somebody might pay with us if they're a member or sponsoring events it's really all about the quality of what they're doing and the visibility and being able to understand information that can really help insurers when they have to make decisions about either who to work with or at least who to put on their shortlist amazing uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, and knowing what you know today, if you were to invest in one channel that has gotten you the most community members, what would that be? That's a very interesting question. I haven't thought about what I could do if I could revert the clock back. In a sense, where we are today is not where we people thought we would be seven years ago. If you go about seven years, people were talking about blockchain and all sorts of sort of exotic technology trying to change the consumer. Whereas in reality, what insurance companies want is to be able to do simple things that you would have thought would have been solved years ago, such as how to get data off PDFs and just get it into their system more easily. I had somebody actually at an event we did this week who comes from banking and he says, you know, we solved all this problem with spreadsheets 20 years ago. Why why are insurers still sharing spreadsheets? So if you just say, turn the clock back 20 years, what would we have doubled down on? And we actually did work with quite a few companies doing this who were solving some of the 
you know, I call them sometimes you know, boring problems, but they're the ones that people want to get fixed as opposed to the ones that have got lots of sort of uh, excitement about them and sort of fun. But actually, yeah, those companies are very hard to succeed in any business. You know, those, those are going to be the ones where you're going to see five or 10% will succeed. So, and that is sort of where we landed today. We're helping companies building technology. Again, it makes the underwriters' life easier. Also, you know, quite intriguing looking at where the areas that insurers can't insure or where can they get more premium from and what businesses and what data is allowing them to do underwriting they might not have been able to do five years ago. Amazing. You've seen so many startups and insurtechs come and go, and you've seen so many trends. Today, if you were to pick three trends that are really hot in insurance, what would those be? Well, I suppose in insurance and then, and then from the technology perspective, the first one is back to my point about collaboration. So any company that's building data or analytic tools is going to really struggle if they're trying to sell those independently to the insurance companies. I mean, anybody listening to this who knows insurance knows that there's a very long sales cycle. It's typically about a year and a half to sell into an insurance company. Very hard to find the right person. It's, the decision is made by a committee. People leave, things change. So we're seeing much more of a theme now that in data and analytics company are looking at companies that have already got platforms. So it could be organizations like Majesco or Guidewire or Duck Creek or even some of the modeling companies like Verisk or Moody's and actually working with them to pipe in their data and analytics. And every company these days has got an API. It makes it a lot easier. That's the first theme, I'd say, very much around collaboration with the platform providers and also collaboration together The second theme is a little bit of what I referred to earlier, but it's really been clear about whether the data is looking to do something new. So cyber, for example, you know, we couldn't have done cyber 10 years ago because the data didn't exist. Yet now cyber is about a $10 billion premium industry today. There are lots of massive other areas that are unprotected. I mean, transitioning risks, the renewables such as offshore wind turbines, incredibly big. I was on a panel with someone last month and she has got... Um, $100 billion of assets to invest in offshore energy, and it's literally $100 billion. So it just has massive areas of underinsured or where there's you know, no capacity from insurance companies that's being provided. Those are two. And then the third one is finally insurers are going to be starting to do what's being referred to as algorithmic underwriting or sometimes augmented underwriting. But although the insurance industry, and you still talk to people and they say this is not going to happen, has been very resistant to moving on from sort of face-to-face -face or personal underwriting, and that still has a place, we're pretty convinced that we're going to see a sudden change. Now, sudden insurance terms probably means like five years, but a shift towards more of these insurance organizations that have actually got the data and analytics to be able to do the underwriting. And there'll still be a role for people, but it's going to be very different than the way it's happening today and the way it's been done traditionally. Why do you feel there has been so much resistance when it comes to either technology or specific areas in insurance like underwriting? I'd say one reason is completely justified, and that's because when people come out with new technology, particularly they come from outside of insurance, they're very quick to say and, and blame the insurers for not sorting it out. They don't understand the complexities of insurance. And so the insurers themselves, the underwriters, people making decisions, just got to be fed up with people coming in, looking at it and saying, well, you can't do it. So that's one hand why there's a resistance. But the other one is... There's also you know, people that are maybe not comfortable with change, don't recognize that there's still a role of people, but they just is changing. I mean, the I'm, I'm a, very careful about getting too enthusiastic about anything that actually is hyped up and might not change. 
But there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that generative AI is, is fundamentally going to change what we're doing and how we're doing so many different things. Now, it's going to take a while to get there. But if anybody's there who's an underwriter and saying, well, generative AI means nothing to me, I just think it's not going to add value, then I just feel they're completely naive and haven't actually done the work to look and see what's out there. It might not change tomorrow, it might not change this year. But if you look at that kind of technology and don't understand how fundamentally it's going to change people's jobs, then I really feel that people just aren't asking the right questions. That makes a lot of sense. I think a few years ago, there was blockchain as a very hot topic, and then it died a little bit off, and now generative AI. Do you think there's a resemblance, or do you think generative AI might have more legs? I'd say they're completely different. I mean, I can understand technically why blockchain had a role to play. I could never understand why people felt it was so exciting from a sort of point of change. I mean, there's so many barriers into actually implementing what blockchain is trying to drive. Whereas generative AI, I'd say, is, is it is completely different because, I mean, the simplest example for anybody who hasn't experienced what generative AI can do is download the free version of generative AI, ChatGPT or Bard, uh, probably watch a YouTube video because it's probably the best place to learn these days about how to get the best out of ChatGPT. And I'll buy anybody a coffee if they haven't found a use case within 24 hours or maybe make it a week where they've seen something that's actually saved them time within a week of using that. You'd never get that from blockchain. You know, you'd have to spend, and people did, tens of millions of pounds or dollars investing in it. And you know, Whereas ChatGPT is here right now and you can see how it can actually make a significant difference in your life, even at the most trivial application. Makes a lot of sense. What's the key principle that you live by that has helped you grow the community? Well, one of the key, I mean, many key principles, actually, but one of the ones is that I know, I don't know all the answers. I probably don't know many of the answers. And I really enjoy people that can teach me. And I really enjoy learning more about topics and actually sometimes you know, proving my initial hypothesis wrong. So I guess my key principle is always to be challenging and checking the assumptions and what might have worked that classic thing, what got you where you are today might not get you where you want to go tomorrow. Keep checking that people still want the same things and need the same things and yeah, keep fresh. Yeah, learn from the sort of younger people that are is naturally using technology and naturally digital natives. What's the best advice you ever received? There's many bits of advice, but one of I quite often refer back to people when I was in my early stage and I was an engineer when I started off my career. And my boss at the time said to me, the difference between a good engineer and a bad engineer is a, or an average engineer, let's call it an average engineer. An average engineer would finish their work and go, right, I've done all my calculations, I'm done now, I can go home. Whereas a good engineer would go, I finished my work to this stage, but I know I've made a mistake in there. I'm going to go back and I'm going to check it until I find the mistakes or a mistake or mistakes because there's probably more than one. And it, that struck me as just a reminder that in all sorts of things, whether it's writing an article and looking for mistakes or something that gets sent out to somebody or goes on stage as a banner or even more, much more fundamental than that. There's always really important to test your own assumptions and test other people's assumptions. And, and it's much better to be a good engineer that got there a bit later than a bad engineer that got there first and, and got it wrong. Amazing. One last question. What's next for Matthew and Instech? Well, we're really enjoying what I see as the next phase of, you know, tech was really around people starting up companies and coming into insurance. And there's a lot of value in that. But actually, there's a whole other area of data and analytics and innovation going on, which is companies that have 
built solutions outside of insurance and are now discovering insurance and seeing how they can apply them to insurance. And that to me is really intriguing. I mean, one example that is quite well known in London is very unusual for Lloyd's. There's an organization called Gaia that provides insurance for failure from IVF treatment. And there was data around what causes failure, but it's a very traumatic experience for people at the best of times and even more, you know, even more traumatic if the IVF treatment fails. And they use data completely outside of insurance to create an insurance product. It's incredibly powerful to be able to do that. And I'd say this is even a, you know, something we are improving at our own events and, and wherever we're doing is, is just talking to the end customer, whether that's an individual, but also some of these massive corporates about the problems they've got. That's useful to learn what their problems are. But it's also very intriguing to learn what these organizations have got access to to be able to go and deliver more analytics, more more data, and ultimately provide more protection for insurance companies from areas that we'd never really thought of. And the benefit of that is, you know, startups great, and there's always going to be a place for startups. But a company is actually already established and can bring investment to bear and bring people that experience can move a lot faster and has got a lot more resilience than a startup might. So, although they might seem a little bit you know, less exciting because they're not startups and they're established companies. Yeah, the reason often they're established companies is because they've been successful. They know how to innovate and they know how to create new products. And they've got people that are really good at it. So I feel there's been a, there has been a correction in this term insurtech and the concept. But the correction is actually moving us to another place where there's as much, maybe even more opportunity than there was back in 2015, 2016 when insurtech was coined. Amazing. Thank you for stopping by, Matthew. This was an amazing episode, very insightful. How can people reach you and are you hiring? Uh, they can reach me at matthew at instec.co or they can go to the website, which is www.instec.co or they can find me on LinkedIn, Matthew Grant. We are not hiring right now, but we're always keeping an eye open for people. We call our community the collaboration of the curious and we're, we're always interested in people who are curious and might look at us and see an opportunity through what they're interested in to to partner with us or work with us and in turn and uh, and who knows where that might lead to because you know i'm pretty sure pretty soon next year we're going to bring people into the business just not right at this very moment thank you very much and we wish you the best of luck matthew thank you hadi enjoyed talking to you congratulations on on your own success as well thank you so much for listening to the first 100 we hope it inspired you in your journey if you're enjoying the podcast please subscribe to our podcast on apple itunes stitcher google play or spotify and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey leave us a five-star review your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers 